Welcome to the Live Like It's True podcast, where we look at some of the most interesting and astonishing stories of the Bible and ask, how can we live like this story is true? I'm your host, Shannon Popkin. I'm an author, a speaker, and a Bible teacher. And here on the podcast, I'm inviting you to drink deeply of the true story of the Bible and live like it's true. I'm so excited to tell you about my two new books launching this spring. And here on the podcast, I'll be hosting two series in correlation with each of these books. So first, we'll do the Sarah series, and we'll look at the life of Sarah in Genesis 12 through 21, which is the topic of my brand new Bible study, Shaped by God's Promises, Lessons from Sarah on Fear and Faith. I love this story of the Bible, and I can't wait to dive in with you, both in the pages of this new book and here on the podcast. My second book launching is Comparison Girl for Teens. So excited about this book, co-authored by my dear friend, Lee Neenheis. We poured our hearts into this super fun and truth-packed resource that we know is going to help so many teens find freedom from the comparison trap. So here on the podcast, we'll be doing a comparison series, looking at how Jesus compared in a completely different way. I hope that every one of these amazing conversations will inspire you to better know the story, share the story, and live like the story is true. Kristen Wetherill, welcome back to Live Like It's True. I love being back with you, Shannon, my friend. Thanks for having me. It's just a delight to have you back. I remember our last conversation was just so, so helpful. Um, we talked about fear and surrendering those fears to God and remembering. I just remember you saying, YOLO is a lie. You only live once is a lie. <laughs> we <laughs> talked about how like, nope, you live twice. And maybe we'll get into that again today. Tell me about this brand new book that you have just released. Thank you. Yes, it's called Help for the Hungry Soul. The subtitle is Eight Encouragements to Grow Your Appetite for God's Word. And so that's exactly what I hope it will do. You know, I am so often struggle in my affections for God's Word. I just don't desire it. It feels overly familiar to me. Mm-hmm. I just forget what it is. Right. I'm dealing with the very voice of God speaking to me. Yes. And I also have just heard from people in my church and small group, people at other churches that I've visited, this heavy laden guilt that we have, you know, not desiring our Bibles or not reading our Bibles, the sense that we're, that there's like a right way to do it, mm-hmm. which just isn't true. Which means there's a wrong way to do it. <laughs> yeah. And so just wanted to look at some of those discouraging things that we feel or don't yeah. feel and encourage people, you know, that it's possible to love God's word again. Yes. Well, and I think it's helpful to know that you are a young mom of three. Your kids are ages six, three, and seven months. And so when I remember back, that was one of the hardest times in my life because I had a kindergartner, a toddler, and a baby. And it just makes life chaotic and you're tired. And so to hear you, you know, you're a pastor's wife um, at the Orchard in Chicago, and you are an accomplished author. You have written five books now to hear you say that you still struggle with opening God's word. That's kind of refreshing, but we're looking for answers. Like we need God's word. We know that we need it. But what I think you said uh, was really helpful just now is we forget what it is, right? Mm. We forget what the word actually is. 
And so as we talk today about a Bible story, we're going to just ask God to give us a correct hunger for his word. You were saying you watch a TV show and I wasn't familiar with the show, but something about where they have to go through hunger. Yes. Okay. The show is called Alone and it's a survivalist show. Okay. And it's real survivalists, people with these outdoorsy skills. Okay. Of which I have zero. <laughs> which I have none either. So, oh, my husband teases me. He's like, you would not survive two hours. You would be like, get me out of here. I'm calling in. I'm yes. done. I have a bug bite. <laughs> yes. These survivalists are dropped into remote parts of the world, wherever they decide the location is alone by themselves. And they have to figure out how to survive, how to build shelter, how to feed themselves. And it's an interesting thing because as you watch them try to outlast the other people, the hungrier they get, you know, it turns into not just hunger, but starvation. Yeah. And it's interesting because many of them actually stop hungering. It's like it turns off their natural healthy appetite. Mm -hmm. And it is such a good illustration for when we're away from God's word for long enough and kind of filling up on the junk of the world, so to speak. Yeah. If you fill up on junk, you're going to crave junk. Yes. And you lose your appetite. Yeah. So I, I do think that there's a connection there for sure. Yeah. What I notice is whatever I eat more of, that's what I crave. You know, yes. so if I'm eating healthy, I crave healthy. If I'm eating junk, I, I crave junk. The more we eat good food, the more we crave it. And that's how it is with the Bible. That's right. Okay. So this story that we're going to talk about, it's so interesting because these two men on the road to Emmaus, we're going to watch their hunger grow for understanding more. What I want us to pay attention to is the part of the story where they beg him to stay. He's been feeding them with the truth of the word and they're going to beg him for more, you know, because that's really the goal of your book is help for the hungry soul. We are hungry and God has designed that we would be hungry for him and to find him in right. the word. And so this story is found in Luke 24, 13 through 35. Um, we just have to set the context. This is the day that Jesus has risen from the dead. Earlier that morning, he rose from the dead. And so there are two disciples. This is like the larger group, not the 12 disciples, but two of these disciples who they were probably gathered with the rest of the disciples. And now they're heading back to a village called Emmaus. And the text says about seven miles from Jerusalem. Probably they're in Jerusalem for the Passover. And now they're heading back home. And so here's what the verses say. It says, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered and said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him, and then they, they went on to tell about Jesus of Nazareth, this man who was a prophet and who did all of these mighty things. And then their chief priest condemned him to death and crucified him. And they're commiserating with Jesus. Like we had hoped he was the one, he was the Messiah. He was the one who was going to come and redeem Israel. But now it's been three days 
since he died on this cross. And so that means, you know, after three days, we know he's dead, dead. And then they go on to say, but there's something else really amazing that happened. Some of our women, they went to his tomb and it's empty. And then some of our guys, they went and they looked for Jesus and they couldn't find him. So then Kristen, could you read Jesus's response to these two men who've been walking and telling him all these things that they've observed in verses 25 through 27? Yeah. So he responds, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then verse 27 says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Such an interesting verse. What do you, Kristen, find surprising or interesting about this scene? What's going on between these two men and Jesus? It's so interesting that we automatically assume that it's two men. Have you ever thought about that? Because I, I assume the same thing. Even when I was working on this chapter in the book, it's two men, it's two men. And our pastor recently preached a sermon where this passage was involved and he talked about that it could have been a husband and a wife Oh, because we only ever hear from Cleopas. Well, now I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Her first little ditty, not not super relevant to our conversation, but isn't that interesting? Yes, it is. I think I said two men. Well, it doesn't really distinguish. It doesn't tell no. us, but it could be a husband and wife. Um, Jesus really values women. Yes. So it could be, who knows? The three women were just at the tomb, Mary and yes. Mary and Joanna. Well, I think the most surprising and astonishing thing that we tend to just glaze over because we've heard it a bazillion times is that a dead guy just walked out of his tomb and came to life and he's just popping in and making visits on his people. Right. We tend yeah. to take that for granted. Yes. That would be the most surprising thing. Yes. <laughs> but like story. you said, it's been three days. Jesus was dead, dead. And now he's standing before them. And don't you wonder how it happened? It says that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Did he just kind of appear out of the bush? Did he, you know, was he also kind of walking on the road and he just kind of walked up beside them? But I find it interesting to kind of close my eyes and actually envision this scene Mm-hmm. And what that would have been like. But scripture tells us that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Mm-hmm. Their eyes were kept. So it's not, it's also that they didn't recognize him, which could have been because he's in his resurrection body. And this is a glorious body, right? So it it probably looks pretty different than pre-death, pre-resurrection body. They didn't seem to be like shocked by his appearance. Right. But clearly Jesus looks different. So there's that factor. But the language is interesting. Their eyes were kept mm-hmm. from recognizing him. And I, I looked at a couple other translations this morning. And it actually, those translations says God kept them from recognizing him. So we have to ask then what enables them to finally see. And we'll get to that in the rest of the story. But this tells us something about our deep spiritual need. Mm-hmm. This hunger that God created us to have for him, only God can open our eyes. Mm-hmm. This is not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps, yeah. do all the right things to be yeah. a good Christian, open your Bible and read it, pursue Jesus on your own strength. That's not what the Christian life is. Right. It's a total 100% abiding in and dependence on the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that here. Yeah. And it's kind of shocking because we don't love that. Like we love for matters to be taken into our own hands, even spiritual Mm -hmm. matters, right? Yes. Yeah. Especially I think type A people, I assume you're kind of that way, Kristen, and me too. Like I like to, you know, give me the formula. If I read first thing in the morning or if I read, you know, a chapter a day or if I read consistently, well, then this supernatural book will open up to me 
No, <laughs> this is a complete dependence. And sometimes it's interesting that he apparently keeps our eyes from actually seeing. Why didn't Jesus immediately reveal himself, do you think? There was a process of, you know, as you read, Jesus asking them questions. Yeah. Probing their hearts and their minds. And then we get to this type of crescendo where he's opening up the scriptures to them. Mm -hmm. And so there is this process of, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, we cannot know the Lord apart from his word. So I think sometimes we feel defeated in our engagement with the scripture because we feel like, is anything really happening? Like, I'm not really like feeling much right now. Mm-hmm. It's not really changing me right now. Is it worth it? And so we tend to kind of give up or let our guard down a little bit. But I think that there's a really wonderful principle here and even a promise here. We can't know the Lord God and see his glory for who he really is apart from scripture. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So it's a both and like we open the Bible and God works. Yes. And I think it's interesting too, that they have a misunderstanding of scripture because look at it says we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Well, he is the one to redeem Israel. Right. He had a whole book filled with prophecies and they were the people of all the people in the world. They were the ones to be expecting Jesus, to be looking for him, to be watching for him. They had everything and yet they missed him. He died on that cross and they thought, well, this he's not the one. I picture what would have happened if Jesus had revealed himself immediately to them, you know, joined them on the road. They would have been like, Oh my goodness, it's you. You are risen from the dead, but we would have missed out on this conversation that is so interesting because they didn't see him. And he's revealing himself in a way that they've missed. The verses you just read were beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them. He's going to do some interpretation here in all of the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you have loved to be in on that conversation, Christine? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> That would have been amazing. Yes. So here Jesus is trying to set right their misconceptions, reinterpret scripture for them. Do you think it's interesting that he started with Moses and the prophets? Well, absolutely. Because from my understanding, the phrase Moses and the prophets or the law and the prophets is a way of saying the whole scripture. Exactly. Yeah. And they obviously didn't have the New Testament. They had, right. you know, yeah. the old. Yeah. Um. So he's basically saying everything in scripture points to me. Right. Which causes us to ask, what is my view of scripture? And is it just an ancient book full of stories that's irrelevant today? Is it just the law? Is it just a restrictive book of rules from God? Mm -hmm. What is scripture? And, he, and Jesus is telling us, it's about me. Right. <laughs> All of it points to me, which challenges our view. Yeah. If you look at the timeline, you would think Jesus doesn't show up until the New Testament, right? You would think the Old Testament, well, that's sort of like us understanding God. And a lot of people think it's just our guidebook for how to live, you know, like morality. But take another look, and there are a lot of people who do not live <laughs> with any sense of morality in the Bible. And they're, you know, the heroes in the Bible are not Moses and David. You know, so many of them sinned, right? They're just huge examples of sin. They're not like these righteous people. And so what is all of this scripture? What is all of this about? And Jesus says it's about him. I love in um, Nancy Guthrie's book, The Promised One. Have you read that book? Mm, I've not. It's uh, seeing Jesus in Genesis. And so she brings up this very story and she's like, notice that Jesus went back and, you know, if you're picturing, he's explaining the Christ. Their misconception is 
that Jesus couldn't possibly be the Messiah because he suffered. But she's going back to the beginning and saying, no, this, all of these stories, these are all about Jesus. So like the Israelites being delivered from Egypt, like that's a story of salvation. That's Jesus and salvation or Noah and the flood. Like Jesus saying like, this was me. I'm the one who saves you, who brings you through God's judgment. All of these stories, they're not be like Noah, obey God, build your ark. <laughs> no, it's know that Jesus is the ark. Like the whole story, it's about him. It's not this morality. Do you agree? Like that that's probably yeah what Jesus was unfolding for them? Oh, absolutely. I'm doing a great study right now on the covenants, these promises that God makes to his people that are about loyalty and relationship all the way through the Bible, starting in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. And all the way along, we can't keep our side of the deal. It's not possible for God's people to be 100% faithful because of sin. Yet God, he always supplies mercy and grace and forgiveness, whether it's through the sacrifice of an animal in the Old Testament, which points us to yes. the better sacrifice of Christ yeah. once yeah. and for all on the cross for sin in the New Testament. The whole Bible is one story. Yes. Our, our senior pastor said the whole Bible is one story and all the way through it points to Jesus Christ. And so we can say to the listeners, if you've never actually read the Bible looking for Jesus in that way, it will change your Bible reading. And there are a number of wonderful resources that will help you to do that. Um, you've mentioned Nancy Guthrie. She has a number of them. Uh, there's a great ministry called Open the Bible, and that's their whole objective is to help you see Jesus in the Bible. Yes. Isn't it Pastor Colin Smith? Yes. Is that your pastor? That's our senior pastor. Yes. Oh, okay. So I have his set of four Unlocking the Bible books. Yeah. So they recently changed it. It was a four volume Unlocking the Bible set. So you might still be able to get that. Those are a little more extensive. They recently turned it into one book called Open the Bible. Okay. So oh, and good. They, yes. They're so helpful in helping us draw these connections of seeing the Bible as one solid book. But what I think is so interesting here is that Jesus is, look what he says in verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter glory? See, they weren't looking for a Messiah who would suffer. So the cross completely threw them off. They're like, well, this can't be the one, right? And Jesus is like, from the beginning, you just mentioned, uh, Kristen, the sacrificial system. The best image of Jesus in the Old Testament was the lamb being slaughtered over and over and over because these lambs couldn't take away sin. They they were just like a temporary solution, but Jesus is the lamb of God. But even if you look at the beginning, the very beginning of the first story, which you just mentioned with Adam and Eve sinning, not being able to keep their commitment to God, what's the first mention of Jesus in the Bible? It's Genesis 3.16, where God promises that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. But in that same promise, his heel will be bruised. So the Messiah, the one who's coming to crush the serpent, yeah, he will be bruised. Like from the beginning, we've seen that the Messiah will suffer. He's going to endure pain and crucifixion is like the worst suffering possible. That's what he endured. And so Jesus is like putting all the pieces together. And yeah, I just find it astonishing. They still don't see him. Yeah. 
God's promises are like a set of parentheses. The first one is when he makes the promise. The second one is when he keeps it. And you never have one without the other. But often there's this long stretch between the two, much longer than we first imagined, right? That's what we see in Sarah's story found in Genesis 12 through 21. God promised a son, but in this wide stretch between the parentheses, she wondered, would God keep his promises? Could he? I'm Shannon Popkin, inviting you to come find the answer to those questions, both for Sarah and yourself, in my brand new six-week Bible study titled, Shaped by God's Promises, Lessons from Sarah on Fear and Faith. Find out how you too can be shaped by God's promises in the waiting. It's not natural for us to be drawn to suffering in that way, right? Yes. To be able to see through suffering into glory. Mm. Naturally, suffering is something that we recoil from. Absolutely. <laughs> and not that we shouldn't recoil from it. It's suffering is suffering. It's hard. But right. Jesus is correcting a false narrative here, right? Because mm-hmm. suffering, even death itself, is not the end. Yes. It's not the final resounding note. Well, and look at how they recoiled even from the idea of suffering. Like we just said, it's been there in the Old Testament all along, but they just kind of selectively chose the promises about this Messiah who would deliver. They don't want a Messiah who suffers, right? They don't want that to be part of the story. And yet that's God's way. It's not his ways are not our ways. And so, um, and he has just suffered, but yet, just like you said, he didn't, that wasn't the end. He's alive. Like the most astonishing part of the story is a dead man walked out of his tomb and joined two guys on a road. I just have to say too, I love the fact that Jesus is willing to just spend seven miles, you know, of his time walking with perhaps a husband and wife. And he's willing to spend some time with you today too, right? He can do That's that. Right. He, he's not in just one place at one time. When we open our Bibles, we get to experience Jesus just spending some time with us, opening our understanding to our Bibles. One of the false narratives we can tend to believe is that God is far away, that he's not interested, you know, maybe that he's inaccessible to us. But the Bible on your bookshelf or on your nightstand is living proof that that is not true. Right. (laughs) That God himself wants to talk with you. And he has made that possible by giving you a book to read. Right. A supernatural miracle through a really natural process. Yeah. John Piper's book, Reading the Bible Supernaturally, is it's a thicker read, but it's worth every word. It's so good. And he really helped me to see that. What a wonderful gift and gracious of God that, you know, sinners by nature who have rejected his words and not wanted to hear from him mm-hmm. and who have chosen our own way, that he would uh, wait for us in his word, that he would continue speaking and giving himself to us. It's such a precious gift that I, I think we forget and that we that we take for granted. Yeah. In Kelly Needham's new book, Purposefold, she talks about a friend of hers who who gets in the car and then buckles the seat belt of the empty passenger seat next to him just to practice the presence of Jesus. I thought that was kind of interesting. Like just remembering I, I'm not alone here. You know, I have a passenger with me and, you know, I think opening God's word and recognizing, you know, it's just like those two guys walking on the road. Jesus is with me and he is the one I have to have open my understanding to this text. Okay. So let's look at the next section where Jesus does reveal himself. Could you read um, verses 28 through 35? 
Yes. So they, the three of them, drew near to the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Oh, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. If you look at the story elements here, the great tension of the story is they are talking to Jesus and they don't know they are talking to Jesus. You know, they have just spent seven miles walking with him and don't know that this is who they're walking with. Uh, Have you ever had a situation like that, Kristen, where someone's talking to you and they don't know it's you or... Sometimes when I um, am speaking somewhere, I like to interact with the people, you know, just kind of mingle with them. And um, one time a woman said to me, I heard the speaker is really good. <laughs> and, and I looked at her. I'm like, is she teasing? Like, you know how you'll say that to somebody like, yeah. I hear the speaker is really good. But no, she really did not know she was talking to the speaker. And I was like, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to respond what do you say? So I just said, yeah, I hope. I hope so, (laughs) you know, Um, but yeah, there are these instances in life where we're talking to someone like you should kind of know who it is, but you don't know who it is. Mm, Like that's what's going on here. These guys, they're talking to someone they should. I mean, they're followers of Jesus. They know all about him. And I love what you wrote in um, Help for the Hungry Soul. I just want to read this little section. You said, we read and hear God's words in order to know the one who speaks them. But perhaps the more probing question is this, how have you seen unbelief affect this pursuit? In other words, how have you been like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, surrounding by the realities about Jesus while remaining unaffected in heart by Jesus? Like that's mm-hmm. a very interesting question here. So you you went on, so we can sometimes forget that Jesus is a real risen and reigning person, not just a spiritual theory or historical figure. He is real. He walked on a physical road with two physical disciples. He was real. Um, But what do you find, you know, just interesting or surprising here, Kristen, about the way he revealed himself? I've always wondered, they recognized him and their eyes were opened through the breaking of the bread. Yeah, I think that's interesting too. I assume that these two disciples weren't part of the 12. Mm Mm-hmm. So they probably weren't at the Last Supper. Right. So I don't know if there's a connection there with, you know, the Last Supper and maybe maybe God used that. But I do wonder if there's a connection between the bread and our spiritual hunger. Yes. In John's gospel, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if the Lord decided to open their eyes at that moment to kind of tie all the things together for them, to yes. make those connections in their hearts. Because then they say, did our hearts not burn within us while he was opening to us the scriptures? So notice God didn't open their eyes apart from that part of the conversation. Right. They needed to hear Jesus speak to them about all the things concerning himself before their eyes were opened. You know, we don't draw near to Jesus. We don't get to know him better apart from his word. We need his word in order to do that. I agree. I think... 
they probably couldn't have paid attention and listened so intently if they had known it was Jesus. So perhaps that's why he delayed revealing himself because he really wanted them to objectively listen. But yeah, this breaking of the bread, that is a theme all through the Bible. You know, God gave them bread in the wilderness. Joseph when there was no bread, people in famine had to come to him. He was the only one who had bread. That's a picture of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like you just said, the last supper that Jesus spends with them, it's a Passover meal. They usually would eat unleavened bread. You know, that was usually their Passover meal. But Jesus does something new. He's instituting this new covenant where he's like, I am the bread. He's revealing to them this thing that you have celebrated for centuries. You didn't realize but I'm making it clear right now, you've been celebrating me and now I'm here and my body is the one that's going to be broken for you. And so Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He wants us to remember him as broken bread. And that's what he's doing in this very moment with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He's breaking bread and revealing himself. I love that God's word is bread for us. It's feeding us, but it's not feeding us apart from Jesus. It is Jesus, right? He Mm. is this word. He is part of it. And he's the one who reveals it to us. All of it is pointing to him. There's this connection between feeding ourselves and Jesus and the word. Well, he calls himself the word, right? And so like three components of the same thing, right? It makes me think of Jesus's warning to the religious leaders in John when he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, Mm. but you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Yes. Point being, the scriptures are about me, what we've said before, right? It's all about Jesus, but it does cause us to ask, am I coming to the word in a way that wouldn't be about Jesus? Right. That would be about checking off a list of to-dos or growing an intellectual knowledge or attaining some kind of biblical-like proficiency or just seeking answers to my life's problems. But is it about a person? Mm -hmm. I think we can weaponize the Bible too and use it to correct everybody else and show them all the ways they're wrong and never have it affect ourselves. I just was uh, talking with a woman who her husband is seemingly very godly, and yet he uses the word to correct everyone, but he's not available for the word to reveal his own. And so I just wonder, like, has he truly experienced Jesus in this word? Because when you experience Jesus in this word, you recognize your need. You don't recognize your strength. You recognize, oh, I am I am so unworthy worthy here. I am the one who needs you, Jesus. I can't take care of my sin. I am the one who needs a savior to die on that cross for me. That's right. When we come to the word, I love that you brought that distinction apart from Christ. It can have a negative effect, you know, it can puff us up like these Pharisees. It can make us feel like we're superior in some way. The word truly is meant to help us see our need, not our sufficiency. That's right. Is there a teen you know and love who struggles with the endless pressure of comparison? Maybe she drives herself to exhaustion trying to prove she measures up. Or maybe she shrinks back to the shadows, convinced that she'll never measure up. In my brand new book, Comparison Girl for Teens, co-authored with Lee Nienheis, we're talking about the new face of this age-old problem, comparison. We've got lots of fun quizzes and stories to keep her engaged, and we've broken up the chapters by topic, talking about things that she's got questions about, comparing beauty, comparing femininity, comparing popularity, and more. But ultimately, our goal is to invite your teen to Jesus's healthier, happier way of living me-free. 
So come visit ComparisonGirl.com and get the answers that both she and you need on how to thrive beyond measure in a world that compares. And I don't know if you ever feel this, Shannon, but you know, I'm, I'm in the Bible a lot because I'm writing about it and teaching on it. My husband's a pastor, so he's in the Bible a lot. And one of the things that we pray against often is what we like to call professional Christianity. Yeah. And that's one of my greatest fears, which I think is a good kind of fear, you know, that someday the Lord would look at me and say, I never knew you. Mm. Like you did all these things for me, but I never knew you. You never gave me your heart. Most horrifying verses in the Bible, like that we would be so blind to ourselves. And I have the same struggle, Kristen. So like word to the Bible teacher women here who are listening or men, don't just read the Bible to feed others, right? Yes. We've got to really guard against that. So I've started having a different place where I read the Bible for my own feeding versus as the shepherd getting ready to feed others. Like I sit in a different place and I use actually even a different Bible. I have a journaling Bible. So it's like when I'm reading my journaling Bible, like that's just my attention is drawn to like, you are the needy one here coming for your own feeding versus I have a place where I study the Bible and spread out my, you know, books and my notebooks and everything. But this burning Let's see. I want to read that verse again. Did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road? That's when I know I'm interacting supernaturally with the word of God. When my heart has this burning, like when I'm reading the text and it quickens in me like, oh, this is what that is talking about. There's a conviction. There's a new connection. Like I didn't see. Have you ever experienced that Kristen, that burning, you know, just like where the word is, it's not just a book. It is something supernatural. Well, absolutely. And, and then I'm very aware when I'm, when I'm struggling to have that. Right. Right. Like I'm in a season right now where I, frankly, I kind of feel like I'm in a bit of a rut. I'm just like, Lord, I know that that's possible. Nothing is impossible for you. So would you kind of like fan into flame that love again? The psalmist says, revive my heart again. Would you do that for me? And so I actually love turning to Psalm 119. It's all about the beauties of God's word, but it's also about a real human being struggling to see the beauties of God's word. And he's pleading with God to, I mean, I'll just read like some of these phrases because I highlighted all the instances of like heart or soul, incline my my heart to your testimonies, Lord, and not to selfish gain. And then he says, I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. I need you to do it. And that's what we see in this account too. Who opens their eyes? God does. Yes. So I think that it's an invitation for us to pray, mm-hmm. you know, come to the Lord, come to his word, so dependent on him in prayer Yes. and just pleading with him to do what only he can do through it. Right. And and I think reminding ourselves that it's true, like Psalm 119, is the psalmist is reminding himself the word is lovely. It is beautiful. It is good and right. And I should want it even when I don't want it. Like reminding ourselves, like it's good to rehearse those things. But if it was just a formula, a bread recipe where, you, you know, you put in the yeast, you put in the flour, you put, you know, you put it all together. Well, then you have your bread and you get fed. Like it wouldn't be this supernatural feeding right? It is a supernatural thing. And, and, and we would maybe want the bread apart from Jesus. Maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I think that we need him 
And so just the fact that we don't every time have that burning in our hearts, if we did, it would become formulaic, I believe. And so I love those moments. They're very rare, beautiful, precious moments with the Lord when I have that burning. But the fact that it is supernatural continues to grow my dependence on him. Does that resonate with you too? Absolutely. You know, we get tastes Mm -hmm. of the glories to come. Right. Of the day when we will finally see with our own two eyes, just like the disciples did, the face of Christ. Right. And faith will be made sight. We get tastes of this. And it keeps us coming back for more. Yeah, in the seasons when we feel dry, I think it's helpful to remember. Yeah, and look at, again, what I said at the beginning. When Jesus opened to them, beginning with Moses and the prophets and interpreted the scriptures to them, he acted like he was going to go further. You know, it's almost like he's toying with them, like, well, I'm going to go. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, no, please stay with us. They urged him strongly. There couldn't be any more strong language there. They urged him strongly, stay with us. You know, it's almost evening. You know, no, 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 you can't go on. And this is their hunger for more. You know, so I think the more that we see, the more we want to see. And one of the ways, Kristen, that I cultivate my desire for the word is just turning over these stories in my mind. I'm so drawn to stories and stories Mm. um, gather up more than just facts. You know, it's more than just a list of facts about God. There's elements that you can't communicate in a list that a story contains. And so for me, when I put my head on the pillow tonight, I'm going to be rehearsing this story because this is the one I've been studying this week. And so I'll just remember that they were leaving. It's the day Jesus rose from the dead. They're leaving. They're on the road to Emmaus and they're so sad and they stand still because this stranger has just asked them, what have you been talking about? And, And he doesn't know. And they're just, they stand still sad. And then they give him an update. And then he tells them, you know, oh, foolish ones, do you not realize the Messiah had to suffer? And then he goes back and and traces it through the Old Testament. And then he says, well, I'm going to go. And they no, 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 stay. And as he's breaking the bread, their eyes are opened. I mean, just rehearsing this story and reminding myself of the truth about who Jesus is, what his word is, and how I'm like one of these disciples. There is something supernatural about these stories that it does stir my heart. It does cultivate Mm -hmm. my longing and my correct hunger for him. That's right. So Kristen, how can we live like this story is true? I think we've probably touched on a few implications. A couple others come to mind. One is zeroing in on the sadness of the disciples. How many of us are walking through suffering? It doesn't have to be death per se. It could be the daily toil of life. It could be grief. It could be chronic pain. It could be whatever. But um, we do. We live in a fallen world that's been corrupted by sin, sin within us, sin from without affecting us. And I feel sad sometimes. <laughs> I yeah. feel discouraged. Yeah. But what difference does it make to realize that Jesus walked out of his tomb, that death has been defeated, that suffering leads to glory, that he's at the right hand of God right this moment praying for me, Mm -hmm. pleading for me, sustaining my faith, keeping me, that the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. That changes things. Yeah. That gives me hope. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You know, like the hymn says, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine and 10,000 beside. Mm-hmm. Jesus is my great blessing. And so that makes a difference. 
you know, we can live like that's true. We can call yeah. upon the spirit of Christ. So that's number one. Uh, the second thing is, I think the story encourages us to remember that feeding on Christ through his word is for our own souls, but it's not just for our own souls. Hmm. It's also for others. And you mentioned that earlier, but notice the end of the story says that the disciples returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11. They, they exclaimed, the Lord is risen indeed. Yes. They told what had happened to them, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So they received Christ, they received his word, and then they fed others with it. Yes. And they got it. This thing that the Messiah had to suffer, because just in the next section, in one of the first sermons Peter preaches, he says, we knew that the Messiah would come, but that he would have to suffer. It's in Acts 3.17. Like, so they got it. Like they're putting together the pieces. And these two disciples were part of that. Maybe they weren't the ones to preach but they influenced Peter. So Jesus gives us these glimpses and he lets our hearts burn, but not just for us, right? To save it. It's it's that mm -hmm. we collectively as believers, we're meant to share these ways that the word opens up to us. Um, mm -hmm. So that's so good. I love that. What about false narratives, Kristen? Any false narratives that the story corrects? Yeah, well, I think we've talked about a few of them. I think it challenges our view of the Bible. You know, what what do we actually think that the Bible is and and what it what it's for? Yeah, like morality or... And how we approach it. I can do this on my own, right? Yes. This is just something to check off my list. When in mm -hmm. reality, we are utterly dependent on God's sovereign choice and, and power to open our eyes. Yeah. At any given moment. It also affects the way that we live, right? How will we approach the Lord before we open his word ourselves, before we go to church on a Sunday morning and receive the preaching of the word? Right. You know, is it, I got this or is it, Lord, help me? Oh, so true. I need you. Like you said before. Yeah. I think it challenges our, our sense of self-sufficiency. <laughs> Mm -hmm. in the spiritual disciplines that God's calling us to enjoy him in scripture. This is an invitation. This is bread being broken. Don't lose that image of like just tasty, crusty bread right out of the oven <laughs> being yeah. broken before them and served to them by Jesus. That's what the word of God is. And he's part of it. This has just been such an enriching conversation for me, Kristen. I have enjoyed it so much. Interacting with scripture with you is a joy. It's been so great. Thank you. Just breaking spiritual bread together. It's That's been right. great. Thank you, Kristen. Thanks, Shannon. Can I just remind you that each of these stories from the Bible is absolutely true. Rather than giving us a list of facts to memorize about himself, God gave us a book filled with stories, and each one helps us to know him and to understand this overarching story that we are all in. So I hope that you'll take some time looking at this story in your Bible. To help you study, I've put together my free Live Like It's True workbook, which includes my false narratives watch list, my story elements bookmark, and more. Live Like It's True is part of the Resound Podcast Network. For more gospel-centered resources, visit resoundmedia.cc. We've got that link for you, along with links to any of the other resources that we've mentioned in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining me, and now it's time to go live like it's true.